Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talks with the Gratitude Chick. I am your host, Luanza Christina, aka The Gratitude Chick. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms at The Gratitude Chick for TikTok and Instagram, The Gratitude Chick 2, that's T-O-O, for Facebook, and join my Facebook group, The Magic of Gratitude. Start your gratitude journey today with 21 Days of Thankfulness, available now on Amazon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your reading corner with The Gratitude Chick. So I know it's been a few weeks since I dropped the first episode of the book, Um, you know, challenges happening at the beginning of the year, but now I am past those challenges. So we are set, um, for the near future. The schedule is just three days a week. Sundays will be the affirmation meditation episode that is going hand in hand with our mindset episode on Tuesdays. And then on Thursdays will be this episode here of your reading corner. So we are going to pick up on chapter four. Remember, we are reading um, The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Scovelshin. So we are going to pick back up on chapter four. It's called The Law of Non-Resistance. Resist not evil, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Nothing on earth can resist an absolute non-resistant person. The Chinese say that water is the most powerful element because it is perfectly non-resistant. It can wear away a rock and sweep all before it. Jesus Christ said, resist not evil, for he knew in reality there is no evil, therefore nothing to resist. Hmm, I don't know about that. Uh, So I'm going to reserve my judgment till I hear it you know, read exactly what she's saying, but already I disagree with that. There's definitely evil in this world. Evil has come of man's vain imagination or a belief in two powers, good and evil. There are two powers, good and evil. There is an old legend that Adam and Eve ate of Maya, the tree of illusion, and saw two powers instead of one power, God. Therefore, evil is a false law man has made for himself through psychoma or soul sleep. Again, I, I, I don't believe any of this, so I'm just reading it, but I don't believe this. Soul sleep means that man's soul has been hypnotized by the race belief of sin, sickness, and death. And to me, if you're saying that there is no evil, how do you explain things like slavery and the Holocaust and um, you know, all of the, the the carnal sins that are going on in the world today, or even just regular sins that people commit murders and rapes. So for her to say that there is no evil, she definitely doesn't live in our time. But even, even if she didn't live in our time, she definitely lived in a time right after slavery. So, or excuse me, slavery in the U.S. Um, I'm not really sure where she's from. Uh, excuse my ignorance, but I know that um, even we knew of the Holocaust. So this she may have written this book before the Holocaust, though. Um, but definitely, she knew that that you know that there were there was an entire nation enslaved um, 
in the U.S. And not even just the U.S., but um, the Atlantic slave trade. All of the countries knew. So for her to say that there was no evil, I definitely disagree because you can't tell me that a good power would enslave a nation of people or a good power would allow the Holocaust. Like, what's happening here? Like, and even when I say that, I know because a lot of people say, well, you know, God, if, if there is a guy, why would he allow? You know, God did not give us, he did not make us robots. So when people choose to sin the way that they choose to sin, it's either we're robots and we have to do everything he says or he gives us the freedom of choice. So, and, and it is a hard pill to swallow, especially when you're a Christian and you believe that God is here, but you see that you're going through so many things in your life. We have read in a preceding chapter that man's soul is his subconscious mind and whatever he feels deeply good or bad is outpictured by that faithful servant. His body and affairs show forth what he has been picturing. The sick man has pictured sickness, the poor man poverty, the rich man wealth. People often say, why does a little child attract illness when it is too young even to know what it means? I answer that children are sensitive and receptive to the thoughts of others about them. I agree with that. And often outpicture the fears of their parents. And this is true. How many times have, um, when you were, when you were growing up and you, you know, um, maybe you sneezed or, um, I don't know, coughed and, you know, someone said, are you getting a cold? Are you coming down with something? And then even as a child, you go to your parents and say, oh, I just coughed or I sneezed. I'm coming down with something. This starts as a child. You don't know what this means. But because your parents put that into you, you automatically take that that on as your belief. And now you're a four or five-year-old child believing that you are sick because you are now attracting that to yourself because that is your belief based on what your parents have told you. So this, I definitely agree. I heard a metaphysician once say, if you do not run your subconscious mind yourself, someone else will run it for you. That is deep. And you know what? Let, let's, let's, let's be clear. And I know I just started this chapter, so I'm going to try to hurry this up. But let's be clear when, for, for this part right here. I venture to say that most of the world is being programmed by those that run the world. And here, here's my thought on that. Those of you, or, and I hate to say it that way, but I'll say those of us, those of us who sit and watch television all day, television is literally called programming for a reason. It is programming your mind for, first of all, the commercials, they are programming you to go and buy whatever it is they're peddling. And then whatever show that you're watching, they're programming you to come to the belief that they want you to believe. Whatever it is in that show that you're watching, they are creating fear. They are creating um, love for something. They're creating hate for another. For and, and I'll take you further down. When I was growing up, I didn't see very many black people on TV. Um, and... 
I think that once the Cosby show came around, you know, it was very, in, in everybody's household, in everybody's, you know, household that I knew, you know, black growing up, everybody watched the Cosby show because this was a black family that was prosperous and it was an anomaly for us. We didn't see this on television. So to see us reflected back to us was a huge thing. And it got people, and, and then and then came a different world. A different world is the reason why I have an undergraduate degree from an HBCU. Because when I saw a different world, I said, I am going to an HBCU. And I did. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a lawyer. That didn't pan out. But I wanted to be a lawyer because of Claire Huxtable. So it is the programming. It is the programming. They program us for whatever it is they want us to have. This just happened to be positive programming that we received. And my grandmother was very strict. We could not, even as a 16-year-old, I could not watch TV after like 8 o'clock. And I didn't, I wasn't a child, neither was my sister. We did not grow up, you know, watching television. We didn't even have cable growing up because my grandmother did not believe in us sitting in front of the television you know, hours upon hours upon hours. We didn't have video games. Like, we didn't have these things growing up. So we weren't raised that way, you know. Um, I read a lot growing up. And I was in the church a lot growing up. I was, you know, my grandmother allowed us to travel a lot growing up. So these are the things that I did growing up. I didn't, you know have that and even my niece today she doesn't watch a bunch of tv you know we don't even have because you guys know my niece lives with me but we don't even have regular tv we just have streaming services so I I think I proved my point (laughs) sometimes I go off on a tangent but my 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 point really was that what we have around us is from what he's saying is if you do not run your subconscious mind yourself someone else will run it for you so my point initially was that the powers that be are running the subconscious mind of more probably at least 90% of the world through television programming. So when you watch when you're watching television, you're being programmed to whatever the powers that be want you to know. So um whenever there's if, if you go back in your mind whenever there's war, you always have war movies out because they they want they're programming you to for whatever it is. If when we're in the Middle East, as far as U.S., we have a lot of movies, war movies come out about Americans winning the war in the Middle East. And I think a lot of the hatred that Americans have for the Middle East came from, from, the, from the movies about, you know, the Middle East people being these terrorists. And I'm going to stop it there because I could go on, but I don't think I should put that on tape. So I'm just going to leave it there. But I think a lot of the hatred comes from a lot of these movies that, you know, the powers that be want want Americans to hate the Middle East, you know, Middle Easterners. So uh, let's go back to reading. Mothers often unconsciously attract illness and disaster to their children by continually holding them in thoughts of fear and watching for symptoms. I agree with that. For example, a friend asked the woman if her little girl had had the measles. She, rep- she replied promptly, not yet. 
This implied that she was expecting the illness and therefore preparing the way for what she did not want for herself and child. And, oh, I got to stop talking. So this was, I'm going to try to make this the last time I interrupt. But I literally just posted something today that said, expect what you want and don't expect what you don't want. And a lot of times, if you even think back in your own life, we not only make allowances, but we pave the way in our lives for things that we don't want, including illnesses, especially illnesses. The television has programmed us to believe that the winter months are for cold and flu. It's cold and flu season, right? So as a result of that, we pave the way and uh, we attract and and we welcome in cold and flu season by going out purchasing all these you know drugs and things that we need you know the theraflus and all these things that we're going to need for cold and flu season and we welcome it in by expecting what we don't want instead of expecting what we do want What we want is to make it through the winter months, you know, um, happy and healthy. But instead, we expect what we don't want, which is sadness and unhealthiness. Right? Have you ever thought about it that way? We expect what we don't want instead of expecting what we want. Part of our mindset journey is to expect what we want And don't expect what we don't want. It is literally just a shift. So in the cold and flu season, we should expect to to remain healthy. Instead of expecting a cold. Instead of expecting the flu. A lot of us expect the flu so we go get a flu shot. We inject ourselves with all kind of, you know, viruses to combat a virus. Like, it's, if, if you really break it down, it's crazy that we sit around expecting what we don't want instead of expecting what we do want. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. Okay, so this implied that she was expecting the illness and therefore preparing the way for what, for what she did not want for herself and child. However, the man who was centered and established in right thinking, the man who sent out only goodwill to his fellow man and who was without fear cannot be touched or influenced by the negative thoughts of others. In fact, he could then receive only good thoughts as he himself sends forth only good thoughts. Resistance is hell, for it places man in a state of torment. A metaphysician once gave me a wonderful recipe for taking every trick in the game of life. It is the acme of non-resistance. He gave it in this way. At one time in my life, I baptized children, and of course, they had many names. Now, I no longer baptize children, but I baptize events. But I give every event the same name. If I have a failure, I baptize it success in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In this, we see the great law of transmutation founded on non-resistance. Through his spoken word, every failure was transmuted into success. For example, a woman who required money and who knew the spiritual law of opulence was thrown continually in a business way with a man who made her feel very poor. 
he talked to lack and limitation and she commenced to catch his poverty thoughts. So she disliked him and blamed him for her failure. She knew in order to demonstrate her supply, she must first feel that she had received. A feeling of opulence must precede its manifestation. It dawned upon her one day that she was resisting the situation and seeing two powers instead of one. So she blessed the man and baptized the situation. Success, she affirmed, as there is only one power, God. This man is here for my good and my prosperity. Just what he did not seem to be there for. Soon after that, she met through this man a woman who gave her uh, for a service rendered several thousand dollars and the man moved to a distant city and faded harmoniously from her life. Now, I do want to go back and and read back to you guys where she said that she caught his poverty. He, she said he talked lack and limitation and she commenced to catch his poverty thoughts. Now think back over all your friends and all the conversations that they have. How many times have they rubbed off on you? Their negative thinking or even their positive thinking. How many times have you caught their thoughts? And their thoughts became your thoughts. It happens more than you realize because oftentimes it is an unconscious thing. We are not choosing, we are allowing it to happen and we're not even conscious of the fact that we have taken on the negative thoughts of others. And it did not dawn on me that I was a person that did that until years after I realized I had adopted a belief by someone else and a belief that I never ever believed until I met this person. And that person is a person that I wish I had never met in my life. And she was a person that I called my best friend through college. And she gave, she had so many negative things, so many negative things, so many negative beliefs that I adopted because we were very close um, for the first two years of college. And we we remained close, but those two years, we were roommates. And when you're roommates, you learn way more about people than you would just being their, you know, regular friend. So being her roommate, I learned way too much. And it never bothered me because, you know, she was my friend. She was, you know, she was my best friend. And as a result of that, some of the things that she she thought, I ended up thinking. And a lot of the... And, and, and while I... I would like to say this. While for, for many years, I did blame her for the, the way that my thinking turned. Um, but now I don't blame her because... I have the power to choose my own thoughts. I just didn't know I had that power then. Um, So for years, I blamed her for the things that I thought for many, many years, you know. And while I know now that it was my choice to believe and to continue to believe these things, I still regret the day that I met her. Like, 
I, I just, I guess it was something that I had to go through. She is, she and I, of course, are no longer friends and never will be again. But I, um, I am working through that last part of regretting the day that I met her, you know, because I know that I had to go through that to get to this point where I am right now to know that I have the power to choose my own thoughts. Okay, back to reading. Make the statement, every man is a golden link in the chain of my good. For all men are God in manifestation, awaiting the opportunity given by man himself to serve the divine plan of his life. Bless your enemy and you rob him of his ammunition. His arrows will be transmuted into blessings. This law is true of nations as well as individuals. Bless a nation, send love and goodwill to every inhabitant, and it is robbed of its power to harm. Man can only get the right idea of non-resistance through spiritual understanding. My students have often said, I don't want to be a doormat. I reply, when you use non-resistance with wisdom, no one will ever be able to walk all over you. Another example, one day I was patiently awaiting an important telephone call. I resisted every call that came in and made no outgoing calls myself, reasoning that it might interfere with the one I was I was awaiting. Instead of saying divine ideas never conflict, the call will come at the right time, leaving it to infinite intelligence to arrange, I commenced to manage things myself. I made the battle mine, not God's, and remained tense and anxious. The bell did not ring for about an hour, and I glanced at the phone and found the receiver had been off that length of time, and the phone was disconnected. My anxiety, fear, and belief in interference had brought on a total eclipse of the telephone. Realizing what I had done, I commenced blessing the situation at once. I baptized its success and affirmed I cannot lose any call that belongs to me by divine right. I am under grace and not under law. A friend rushed out to the nearest telephone to notify the company to reconnect. Wow, do you see how how long ago this book was written? She entered a crowded grocery, but the proprietor left his customers and attended to the call himself. My phone was connected at once, and two minutes later, I received a very important call, and about an hour afterward, the one I had been awaiting. One's ships come in over a calm sea. So long as man resists a situation, he will have it with him. If he runs away from it, it will run after him. For example, I repeated this to a woman one day and she replied, how true that is. I was unhappy at home. I disliked my mother who was critical and domineering. So I ran away and was married, but I married my mother for my husband was exactly like my mother and I had the same situation to face again. Agree with thine adversary quickly. That means agree that the adverse situation is good be undisturbed by it and it falls away of its own weight none of these things move me is a wonderful affirmation the inharmonious situation comes from some inharmony within man himself when there is in him no emotional response to an inharmonious situation it fades away forever from his pathway so we see man's work is ever with himself People have said to me, give treatments to change my husband 
or my brother? I replied, no, I will give treatments to change you. When you change, your husband and your brother will change. One of my students was in the habit of lying. I told her it was a failure method, and if she lied, she would be lied too. She replied, I don't care. I can't possibly get along without lying. Wow. One day, she was speaking on the phone to a man with whom she was very much in love. She turned to me and said, I don't trust him. I know he's lying to me. I replied, well, you lie yourself, so someone has to lie to you, and you will be sure it will be just the person you want the truth from. Sometime after that, I saw her and she said, I'm cured of lying. I questioned, what cure you? She replied, I have been living with a woman who lied worse than I did. One is often cured of his own faults by seeing them in others. Life is a mirror. And when we find only ourselves reflected in our associates. Living in the past is a failure method and a violation of spiritual law. Jesus Christ said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. The robbers of time are the past and the future. Man should bless the past and forget it. If it keeps him in bondage and bless the future, knowing it has in store for him endless joys, but live fully in the now. For example, a woman came to me complaining that she had no money with which to buy Christmas gifts. She said last year was so different. I had plenty of money and gave lovely presents. And this year I have scarcely a cent. I replied, you will never demonstrate money while you are pathetic and live in the past. Live fully in the now and get ready to give Christmas presents. Dig your ditches and the money will come. She explained, I know what to do. I will buy some tinsel twine, Christmas seals, and wrapping paper. I replied, do that and the presents will come and stick themselves to the Christmas seals. This too was showing financial fearlessness and faith in God. As the reasoning mind said, keep every cent you have as you are not sure when you will get any more. She bought the seals, paper, and twine, and a few days before Christmas received a gift of several hundred dollars. Buying the seals and twine had impressed the subconscious with expectancy and opened the way for the manifestation of the money. She purchased all the presents in plenty of time. Man must live suspended in the moment. Look, well, therefore, to this day, such is the salutation of the dawn. He must be spiritually alert, ever awaiting his leads, taking advantage of every opportunity. One day I said continually, silently, infinite spirit, don't let me miss a trick. And something very important was told to me that evening. It is most necessary to begin the day with right words. Don't mess me. Don't let me miss a trick, though. <laughs> Isn't a trick like, how, like how positive is a trick? Okay. Make an affirmation immediately upon awaking. For example, thy will be done this day. Today is a day of completion. I give thanks for this perfect day. Miracle shall follow miracles, and wonders shall never cease. Make this a habit, and one will see wonders and miracles come into his life. 
One morning, I picked up a book and read, Look with wonder at that which is before you. It seemed to be a message for the day, so I repeated again and again, Look with wonder at that which is before you. At about noon, a large sum of money was given to me, which I had been desiring for a certain purpose. In a following chapter, I will give affirmations that I have found most effective. However, one should never use an affirmation unless it is absolutely satisfying and convincing to his own consciousness. And often an affirmative is changed to suit different people. And you know, you guys hear me tell you this often. If it doesn't resonate with you, don't say it. It is forceful to say something um, as an affirmation that you don't resonate with. You are forcing and affirming something that you don't really care about or believe in. So don't do it. And I tell you guys that often. And I, and when I give the affirmations that I give each week, these are just suggestions. There, It's not something that you have to, to say. It is something I'm only giving out affirmations that resonate with me. I don't give out affirmations, you know, just to see if you might like them. If I don't, if they don't resonate with me, I'm not going to say them to you. So just take that, you know, into you when you hear not only the res- the affirmations that I give you on Sundays, but any affirmations that you see online. If they if they resonate with you, take it and write it down and make it part of your arsenal. For example, the following has brought success to many. I have a wonderful work in a wonderful way. I give wonderful service for a wonderful pay. Now, that to me is a good affirmation. It doesn't really resonate with me, but it's a good affirmation because it is it is, is it melodious. Yeah, it's melodious. And it has kind of a sing-song quality, so you can really turn it into a lullaby. I have a wonderful work in a wonderful way. I give wonderful service for a wonderful pay. That is a fantastic affirmation. So if you are listening now and you hear this affirmation, write it down if it resonates with you because it's very melodious. It, it, it's very melodic. You can say it and it, it's literally a song. So I'll say it again. I have a wonderful work in a wonderful way. I give wonderful service for a wonderful pay. Write it down if it, if it resonates with you because it's fantastic. I gave the first two lines to one of my students and she added the last two. It made a most powerful statement as there should always be perfect payment for perfect service and the rhyme sinks easily into the subconscious. She went about singing it aloud and soon did receive wonderful work in a wonderful way and gave wonderful service for a wonderful pay. Another student, a businessman took it and changed the word Uh, work to business he repeated I have a wonderful business in a wonderful way and I give wonderful service for a wonderful pay and you know what you can change it up as well but it's the rhythm that I think is fantastic so I might change it up to something that I want and keep the rhythm I might do that that afternoon he made about $41,000 of $41,000 deal though there had been no activity in his affairs for months Every affirmation must be carefully worded and completely cover the ground. For example, I knew a woman who was in a great need and made a demand for work. She received a great deal of work but was never paid anything. She now knows to add wonderful service for wonderful pay. It is man's divine right to have plenty, more than enough. 
His barn should be full and his cup should overflow. This is God's idea for man. And when man breaks down the barriers of lack in his own consciousness, the golden age will be his and every righteous desire of his heart fulfilled. Okay, so that was the end of chapter four. We're going to go right into chapter five. Um, And I think this will go hand in hand with the mindset episode from Tuesday on forgiveness. This is called the law of karma and the law of forgiveness. Man receives only that which he gives. The game of life is a game of boomerangs. Man's thoughts, deeds, and words return to him sooner or later with astounding accuracy. This is the law of karma, which is Sanskrit for come back. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I'll go further on that um, by quoting the scripture in the Bible that says, For God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. People always take out that for God is not mocked. Don't neglect that part because it is letting you know, don't play with God. What you sow, you will reap. So it it is really a double-edged sword when you read that part. God is not mocked. He's not. Don't play with him. For example, a friend told me this story of herself illustrating the law. She said, I make all my karma on my aunt. Whatever I say to her, someone says to me, I am often irritable at home. And one day said to my aunt, who was talking to me during dinner, no more talk. I wish to eat in peace. The following day, I was lunching with a woman with whom I wished to make a great impression. I was talking animatedly. And when she said no more talk, I wish to eat in peace. My friend is high in consciousness, so her karma returns much more quickly than to one on the mental plane. The more man knows, the more he is responsible for And a person with the knowledge of spiritual law, which he does not practice, suffers greatly in consequence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And and I I definitely agree with this because in my 20s, I did a lot of stuff um, to receive like karma right back. Um, And I'm not going to go into details. In my 20s was a like I tell you guys all the time, it was a horrible decade. And what I did notice is that what I did to this person came back the same way to me. And when I looked back and I realized, that's when I realized um, that scripture that I just quoted, for God is not mocked. Don't play with God. (laughs) And what I did to this specific person, no matter the reason, again, you have a choice you choose how to act and react. And because I was acting on emotion based on what I felt she did to me, what I did back to her was a hundred times worse than what she did to me. So as a result of that, my karma came back to me in the same way that I gave it to her. And when I realized the situation, and it happened three times with the same person, and I, in each time, I reacted way harshly than what she did to me. And three times, I got that karma back in the same manner that I gave it to her. So in my 30s, I realized this, and I, and I began a kind of journey of not only 
watching what I say, for the, for the most part, I still had the, you know, clap back real fast thing. I don't, I have it, I just don't say it now. Um, I choose what to say and what not to say now. But um, back then, I didn't. I just, you know, I was the clap back queen. I said what it was. I didn't care if it hurt you, none of that. But I began to realize and understand karma And I began to realize that God is not mocked. What you do to someone, you're going to get back. And not only that, but what you sow, you will reap. So it's not, and a lot of times we think of karma and the sowing and reaping and all of that as negative. But I started to see the positive in it. And what I started doing is just building up stuff for me to reap building up good stuff so I started doing good to other people and I'm I'm literally sowing good seeds good seeds good seeds and I started reaping good seeds good seeds good seeds so the more that my harvest was plenty I started sowing even more good seeds so that's where I am in my life now is that I try my best to sow good seeds and understand it's purely and I hate to say it this way but it's purely selfish because I want my harvest to be good so I have to do I have to sow good so that I can reap good and it, it literally is purely selfish I hate to say it that way but it is I don't want to have a a terrible harvest I want a good harvest so my seeds have to be good So, and while that is the reason why I sow good seeds, I also, you know, I do it because of people too, but that's not my primary reason. My primary reason is, I don't know if it's terrible to even say, but I am a truthful person and I try to be as truthful and honest as I can. And honestly, I do it because I want a good harvest and that's just really it. And... Um, of course, in the moment, you you do it because this person or that person or, you know, it, it, it feels good in the moment. But I think my ultimate reason, and you know, God knows my heart, is that I, 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 I have sowed many terrible harvests. I just want good harvests from now until I die. And that's that's really it. So, if we read the word, Lord, law, it will... Uh, Make many passages in the Bible much clearer. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. She's saying to replace Lord with law when it doesn't make sense when these are words he's saying. But this is what she said. So it is the law which takes vengeance, not God. Okay, I can see that. God sees man perfect, created in his own image and given power and dominion um okay i don't know if he still sees us that way because of sin but i get what she's trying to say this is the perfect idea of man registered in divine mind awaiting man's recognition for man can only be what he sees himself to be and only attain what he sees himself attaining nothing ever happens without an onlooker is an ancient saying Man sees first his failure or success, his joy or sorrow, before it swings into visibility from the scene set in his own imagination. We have observed this in the mother picturing disease for her child 
or a woman seeing success for her husband. Jesus Christ said, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we see freedom from all unhappy conditions comes through knowledge, a knowledge of spiritual law. Obedience precedes authority and the law obeys man when he obeys the law. The law of electricity must be obeyed before it becomes man's servant. When handled ignorantly, it becomes man's deadly foe. So with the laws of mind, I'm sorry, so with the laws of mind. For example, a woman with a strong personal will wished she owned a house which belongs to an acquaintance and she often made mental pictures of herself living in the house. In the course of time, the man died and she moved into the house. Several years afterwards, coming into the knowledge of spiritual law, she said to me, do you think I had anything to do with that man's death? I replied, yes, your desire was so strong, everything made way for it, but you paid your karmic death, your karmic debt. Your husband, whom you loved devotedly, died soon after, and the house was a white elephant on your hands for years. I don't know about that. Um, that's kind of witchcrafty to me. I don't believe that we have the power to cause someone's death by wishful thinking or by thinking of something that we have. First of all, everything she's saying is covetous. It's covetous. First of all, holding mental pictures of yourself having something that doesn't belong to you but belongs to your friend is covetousness. Secondly, thinking that wanting that person a thing that that person has will kill that person so that you can have it again this is not something that i would ever believe in because i don't i don't do witchcraft and i don't believe in witchcraft and this to me is very witchcrafty to sit and think that first of all um you're being covetous you're being covetous by wanting what someone else has and then instead of going out and finding, you know, something that you would like even more. I mean, to me, with all the things that she says in this book, why wouldn't you advise her to go and find something that you might like better? You know what I mean? That doesn't belong to someone else. And even to, you know, let her, let your friend believe that she caused the death of someone by coveting something that they had. Like, I, I don't I don't agree with that. And then to say that your husband died as a karmic death, a karmic debt, that's crazy to me. Do you guys believe that? I, I just, that's, no, I don't believe it. The original owner, however, could not have been affected by her thoughts had he been positive in the truth, nor her husband, but they were both under karmic law. Um, uh, again, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. The woman should have said, feeling the great desire for the house, infinite intelligence, give me the right house equally as charming as this house, which is mine by divine right. Now, I agree with that part. Um, to sit and covet someone. I mean, what you're saying is now we have the power to sit and covet something of someone else's so much that we will kill them to have it. Like, are you crazy? Like, are you're saying that my mind is, is that strong enough to kill someone else for their thing when they don't even know that they're being pulled into my evilness. 
when in the first, the, the preceding chapter, you said there is no evil. Is this not evil? Like, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going off on a tangent. Tangent. The divine selection would have given perfect satisfaction and brought good to all. The divine pattern is the only safe pattern to work by. And you guys, I have gone on a, on a tangent for like five minutes or so. Say, please send me an email to tell me what your thoughts are. The gratitude chick 20 at gmail.com. Because I just want to know if I'm alone in my thinking or if, you know, you guys, you just, if you have a different thought process, tell me what it is so I can, you know, and I'll come back and discuss it. I really will. And I won't, I'll read your email, but I won't, you know, say your name unless you want me to. But I just want to know what your thoughts are. Because am, am I off base? You know, let me know. Desire is a tremendous force and must be directed in the right channels or chaos ensues. And demonstrating the most important step is the first step to ask a right. Man should always demand only that which is his by divine right. To go back to the illustration, had the woman taken this attitude, if this house I desire is mine, I cannot lose it. If it is not, give me its equivalent. Then man might have decided to move out harmoniously had it been the divine selection for her, or another house would have been substituted. Anything forced into manifestation through personal will is always ill-got and has ever bad success. Man is admonished, my will be done, not thine. And the curious thing is, man always gets just what he desires when he does relinquish personal will, thereby enabling infinite intelligence to work through him. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. For example, a woman came to me in great, in great distress. Her daughter had determined to take a very hazardous trip and the mother was filled with fear. She said she had used every argument, had pointed out the dangers to be encountered and forbidden her to go. But the daughter became more and more rebellious and determined. I said to the mother, you are forcing your personal will upon your daughter, which you have no right to do. And your fear of the trip is only attracting it, for man attracts what he fears. Let go and take your mental hands off. Put it in God's hands and use this statement. I put the situation in the hands of infinite love and wisdom. If this trip is the divine plan, I bless it and no longer resist. But it is. But if it is not divinely planned, I give thanks that it is now dissolved and dissipated. A day or two after that, her daughter said to her mother, I have given up the trip and the situation returned to its native nothingness. It is learning to stand still, which seems so difficult for man. I will deal more fully with the law in the chapter of no on non-resistance. I will give another example of sowing and reaping, which came in the most curious way. A woman came to me saying she had received a counterfeit $20 bill given to her at the bank. She was much disturbed for, she said the people at the bank will never acknowledge their mistake. I replied, let us analyze the situation and find out why you attracted it. She thought a few moments and exclaimed, I know it. I sent a friend a lot of stage money just for a joke. So the law has sent her some stage money for it doesn't know anything about jokes. So you're telling me that if you give your friend a hundred dollars 
of a monopoly money as a joke. You are going to get back $100 in counterfeit money. That's that's kind of deep. <laughs> I said, now we will call on the law of forgiveness and neutralize the situation. What if you're playing Monopoly? Like, I don't... Like, how far does this, like, rabbit hole go down? It, when you're playing Monopoly, is it because you're all passing the money around? That it's just inside the circle? And it's not you giving it to someone who's not giving it back to you? I I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is why I love reading books like this, because it's very thought-provoking. And it makes you say, hmm... I love these kind of books, especially the older books, because it shows you the difference in generations, you know? Christianity is founded upon the law of forgiveness. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the karmic law, and the Christ within each man is his redeemer and salvation from all inharmonious conditions. So I said, infinite spirit, we call on the law of forgiveness and give thanks that she is under grace and not under law and cannot lose this $20, which is hers by divine right. Now, I said, go back to the bank and tell them fearlessly that it was given to you there by mistake. She obeyed, and to her surprise, they apologized and gave her another bill, treating her most courteously. So, first of all, bank, why do you have a counterfeit $20 in your till that you're giving it out to people? That, that that's, that's concerning. Okay. So knowledge of the law gives man power to rub out his mistakes. Man cannot force the external to be what he is not. If he desires riches, he must be rich first in consciousness. For example, a woman came to me asking treatment for her prosperity. She did not take much interest in her household affairs, and her home was in great disorder. I said to her, if you wish to be rich, you must be orderly. All men with great wealth are orderly, and order is heaven's first law. I added, you will never become rich with a burnt match in the pincushion. She had a good sense of humor and commenced immediately putting her house in order. She rearranged furniture, straightened out bureau drawers, cleaned rugs, and soon made a big financial demonstration, a gift from a relative. The woman herself became made over and keeps herself keyed up financially by being ever watchful of the external and expecting prosperity, knowing God is her supply. Many people are in ignorance of the fact that gifts and things are investments and that hoarding and saving invariably lead to loss. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than its meat, but it tendeth to poverty." For example, I knew a man who wanted to buy a fur-lined overcoat. He and his wife went to various shops, but there was none he wanted. He said they were all too cheap looking. At last, he was shown one the salesman said was valued at $1,000, but which the manager would sell him for $500 as it was late in the season. His financial possessions amounted to be about $700. The reasoning mind would have said, you can't afford to spend nearly all you have on a coat. But he was very intuitive and never reasoned. He turned to his wife and said, if I get this coat, I'll make a ton of money. So his wife consented weekly. About a month later, he received a $10,000 commission. 
The coat made him feel so rich it linked him with success and prosperity. Without the coat, he would not have received the commission. It was an investment paying large dividends. If man ignores these leadings to spend or to give, the same amount of money will go in an uninteresting or unhappy way. For example, a woman told me on Thanksgiving Day she informed her family that they could not afford a Thanksgiving dinner. She had the money but decided to save it. A few days later, someone entered her room and took from the bureau drawer the exact amount the dinner would have cost. The law always stands back of the man who spends fearlessly with wisdom. Hmm. For example, one of my students was shopping with her little nephew. The child clamored for a toy, which she told him she could not afford to buy. She realized suddenly that she was seeking lack and not recognizing God as her supply. So she bought the toy and on her way home, picked up in the street the exact amount of money she had paid for it. Man's supply is inexhaustible and unfailing when fully trusted, but faith or trust must precede the demonstration. According to your faith, be it unto you. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For faith holds the vision steady and the, and the adverse pictures are dissolved and dissipated, and in due season we shall reap if we faint not." Jesus Christ brought the good news, the gospel, that there was a higher law than the law of karma and that that law transcends the law of karma. It is the law of grace or forgiveness. It is the law which frees man from the law of cause and effect, the law of consequence, under grace and not under law. We are told that on this plane, man reaps where he has not sown. Wow. The gifts of God are simply poured out upon him. All that the kingdom affords is his. This continued state of bliss awaits the man who has overcome the race or world thought. In the world thought there is tribulation, but Jesus Christ said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The world thought is that of sin, sickness, and death. He saw their absolute unreality and said, Sickness and sorrow shall pass away, and death itself, the last enemy, will be overcome. We know now from a scientific standpoint that death could be overcome by stamping the subconscious mind with the conviction of eternal youth and eternal life. The subconscious being simply power without direction carries out orders without questioning. Working under the direction of the superconscious, the Christ or God within, the resurrection of the body would be accomplished. Man would no longer throw off his body in death. It would be transformed into the body electric. Sung by Walt Whitman for Christianity is founded upon the forgiveness of sins and an empty tomb. Okay, so it is, we're, we're done with chapter five and um, we're going to end it here. Um, it is safe to say that for, Especially chapter four, I didn't really agree with what she said. Uh, some of these things I don't, because again, I am a Christian, and some of these people don't believe that God exists outside of man. I believe that God is in everything. So if you just say that God only exists in us, then God can't be in the air. He can't be in, you know, in nature. So it just doesn't make sense. God to me exists within and without. So a lot of these people think that God only exists within. I believe he is 
within, without, above, and below. That's what I believe. So, and because I believe that, that means that a lot of the things that they say, I am not going to believe or or to agree with. But everybody is subject to their own um, beliefs and interpretation of the Bible. That's what the Bible says. So, Um, in that regard, you know, that's why I didn't agree with a lot of the things that she was saying. But she has quite a few gems. If you've ever read this book before, she has quite a few gems. And I can't wait for that. Um, the chapter on affirmations. Because even though the affirmations then are not said the way they're said now, they can be repurposed. Like the one that I gave you guys that was kind of the sing-songy one. Um, it can be repurposed. So that's why we are reading um, primarily books that were written you know back then because to me they have all of the books that are now are based on books back then so we may as well go to the source right anyway thank you guys so much for tuning in today don't forget to tune in on sunday for your affirmation meditation it's only about 15 minutes long and then next tuesday for our next mindset episode and again next thursday for um i think we're starting with chapter six uh, of the game of life and how to play it in chapter six is called casting the burden and pressing the subconscious so we will see you guys back then thank you so much for tuning in and listening to me especially as i babbled a lot this episode don't forget to add gratitude as a daily practice in your life i promise you your life will change once you add the daily practice of gratitude you guys have a blessed day thank you for listening to another episode of talks with the gratitude chick i am your host luanza christina aka the gratitude chick don't forget to subscribe to my podcast and give it five stars if you have not already Get your copy of my book, 21 Days of Thankfulness, available now on Amazon.